Right, at last we arrived at the churches. Church, you remember two months ago we set about in the book of Revelation, and I wanted to talk to you about the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Because I believe it is the time, the right time now to see what God's message is for the church in the days and times that we are living. Uh, Make no mistake about this, that the church as we know it now is like a ship which is sailing into dark waters. We've been sailing into dark waters for a long time. But I praise the Lord that He Himself said that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Amen? And when I talk about the church, I'm talking about churches who preach the Word of God. Not stories, not fables. In this church, we are not into programs, we're not into books. I won't preach to you any other book than the book of God. What is that book? The Word of God. Amen? We won't come in here and start a book or a a new thing. When we come in here, I'm not going to give you programs or feel-good messages. The gospel of God is an offense to the world. Who knows that? The gospel of God is an offense to the world. If you get offended by the preaching, the true biblical preaching of the Word of God, that's a good thing. Yes? We don't seek for people to fill and, you know, make them feel good, make them feel comfortable. We're not a social church. We're a Bible-believing church. Amen. And this is why when we come to the Word of the Lord, we come to the letter of the Word and to the God of that letter. And that's what we want to look at today. So we're going to start in the next seven weeks to look through each one of these churches that the Bible was written to or what Jesus was talking to. Remember that in the book of Revelation there in chapter 1, when John was in the Isle of Patmos, he was sitting there and the Lord himself appeared to him. And if you want to see a description of our Lord Jesus Christ, go and read it in in the first uh, chapter of Revelation. Because this is how you will see Him when you pass from this life into the other life. You won't see this little man which they have in the children's Bibles with the brown hair, the long beard, and with his clothes which they wore in the Middle East. You won't see Him like that. But you will see Him with fiery eyes. His arms and legs like bronze which talks about judgment. You will see Him with that white rope and the golden band. You will see Him just as John saw Him. What a sight that will be. Amen? Are you looking forward to see Christ? You know, the people say, how, where is Christ? Where can we see Him? There is no photo of Him out of the Old Testament. No photos. There's none. So each one of us has got an imagination of how we think he's going to look like. But here is the wonderful thing for the child of God, the Bible-believing child of God. You open up the Bible, you read in the book of Revelation, and it changes your viewpoint of Christ when you read of him how John saw him. And then importantly, he said to John, write the things down. And now we're going to look at things that he's written down. How privileged are we this morning? How absolutely privileged are we that we can open up a book, uh, the Holy Scriptures, the Bible, and read the exact things that God, through Jesus, told John. You ask me, how does God speak to you? He's going to speak to you this morning. He's going to talk to you through His Word. No funny stuff. 
You're not going to hear a thunderclap. You're not going to hear some strange things going on. You're going to hear the Word of God. So he wrote to him, and that is the key that opens up the book of Revelation in Revelation chapter 1 verse 19 when he says, Write the things which you have seen, past. That is chapter 1. The things which are present. That is chapter 2 and 3. And the things that need to take place after this. Now, before we go into the letter and we look at the church of Ephesus, I want to remind you, and you're going to be reminded in the next seven weeks so often about this, that there's a threefold application of the book of Revelation and these churches. Threefold application. What do you mean, preacher? First of all, there's a local application. Never forget this. There literally was a church called Ephesus back in the day. There were people like you and me who went to that church in the city of Ephesus, of, of Ephesus. This, this church was there. there. There were people attending it. And the message is, what did he tell that church? The local application. But then there's also a prophetic application. And what is the prophetic application? It speaks to us here in 2021. Now, I've preached so many times through the book of Revelation, and I remember going back, I think when we started here five years ago, don't think so, I know, we preached through the whole book of Revelation. It's on the web if you were going to listen to that. I also went through the churches, and I then said five years ago, I think it's 2016, he speaks to us in 2016. And this is what prophetic is all about. It speaks to the future. And here is the wonderful thing about it. That the Spirit of Christ is the prophecy. You hear what I'm saying? When we talk about prophecy, I'm not going to pull you aside and say, Hey, God told me to tell. No, no, no. I'm going to bring you the Word, which is Christ, which is the Spirit of prophecy. And that speaks into the future. So, I don't know. We might tarry the next five years and I preach through Revelation again. And then I'm going to say in 20, uh, 2030, that's looking forward. I might preach the same. But you know what's going to happen? The Spirit of God's still going to speak to you and me. So he's got a message for this church in Karam Downs. And the question is, what is the message for our church here this morning? But then there is more importantly also a personal application. What does that mean? This is written for you. Not for your wife. Not for your mom, not for your dad, not for your husband, not for your grandpa, not for your grandchildren. This is this morning written for you. So God is coming into this place this morning and through His Word He's going to speak to you personally this morning. Nobody shouts hallelujah to that. How wonderful is it that God Himself is going to speak to you this morning. He's, he's going to point his finger and he's going to touch you on your chest and he says, this word this morning is for you. What do we need to do? We better listen. We better listen. If God speaks, we better listen. So never forget the threefold application of the word of God. Now we're looking at the church in Ephesus. And this, interestingly enough, this church out of all of the seven churches, we find more information about this church than any one of the other seven. More. We actually got a timeline for this church going through into the book of Revelation. And I want to quickly take you through that timeline because I, I believe it's important. 
This church is the foundation. If you think for yourself, if you read through Revelation chapter 2 and 3, and you know the seven churches, why didn't he send the first letter to Laodicea, for instance? Why didn't he send it to Parkamos, for instance? Why in your Bible? You need to read the word like that. You need to ask the question, why? Why would the Holy Spirit through John, why would Christ reveal to John to write firstly to Ephesus? Why that church? And it's for this reason. Because the message to Ephesus is the foundation of our Christianity. It's what everything is built upon. If the foundation falls away, the whole house falls away. Now my son is building a house, or not him, he is having a house built for him. And, you know, the first time when he came around, he says, Dad, there's the open land. And what did they put in first? Come on. Foundation. Why do you put in a foundation? Because it gives stability. It gives strength. Even the big buildings in the city, it takes them how many months to dig that big hole into the ground? Have you seen that? It takes them months. And you drive past and all you can see, it's been cordoned off and it's a big hole in the ground. For months. And you drive past and you go, when is this thing going to come up? You know, same with the house. And then they came and they put in a foundation. And then there's a period that passes. Man, if you can start seeing the foundation is laid and, and they go, yep, it's all, all okay. The top part is going up quickly. But if the foundation is broken, the building will come down. And that's the same with you and me. This is the foundation in this church. So let me take you on this journey quickly to talk about Ephesus. Remember always, what did God speak to them? What is He speaking to this church? What is He speaking to you? So, how did this church start? We read in the book of Acts, and you can go and read this whole account. It makes for a beautiful reading in Acts chapter 18 that Paul and Apollos preached to the church in Ephesus. They went there on one of their missionary journeys, and they started preaching to the church there. They were very, very efficient preaching right through Asia. But when they came to the place in Ephesus, this was a stronghold for paganism. We know what paganism is, isn't it? That is, this is serving false gods. I've traveled right through Asia myself, and I can tell you what, it is rife with paganism. A lot of you will know what I'm talking about. Serving gods who's not gods. There's only one God, and He's Elohim of Genesis. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And they are all three one. So within this city, there was a temple which was made for the goddess Diana, or Arteris. But Diana was a beautiful place, I read about. A beautiful temple. And people would go up to the temple and do worship there. There were also prostitutes there, who made money for the temple. So never forget that this is, the, this is where this church grew in. Now, if you look at Melbourne this morning, you can say it's the same. We just don't have a temple. Well, we've got a few around the place, but I won't go into that. But, you know, it is right. We're living in a world similar to these churches lived in that place there. So, 
Paul and Apollos were so effective. They preached the gospel so very well in the place that people started turning away from paganism and started following God. Well, that caused a problem in that place. Because there was a man by the name of Demetrius who was a silversmith. And Demetrius made small little statues out of silver of the temple and of the goddess Diana, which they believed the false god Zeus, he dropped Diana down to the earth. And this is what they worshipped. So he had a very lucrative business going on right through Asia, making these small little statues. So guess what happened? When Paul and Apollos preached so effectively, people turning away from paganism, then the business is going down. And this is literally what happened with him. He got so scared and worried about it that he started to talk to people in other cities, silversmiths. And he, he called them all together. He says, hey, guys, you know, we've got a problem here. These people are preaching about the way, capital letter way, which is Christ. And they're taking away our business. We better protect our business. And they started a riot in Ephesus. They started heaping up people. They started going against Christians. And this will soon happen to the church in the Western world. But this is what happened back then. And they ran into, into the, um, the, the theater. And the theater started filling up with people. And they caught two of uh, Paul's companions by the name of Gaius and Articus. And they brought them in there to punish them. So the people were enraged. And they got one of the men there, Alexander, who was a Jew, a Christian Jew, and, and they pulled him right into the middle of this thing. And when he wanted to start to defend and talk about God, he, they were just frenzied with, with anger and with rage that they started crying out, Great is Diana of Ephesus! Great is Diana of Ephesus! They didn't even want to listen to him. And these men were so close to be killed because of this, because of this riot. So I bring you to Acts chapter 19, verse 35, when the city clerk stood up, and he, he saw what was going to happen, and he quieted the whole crowd, and he said, Men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of Ephesus, of the Ephesians, is the temple guardian of the great goddess Diana, and of the image which fell down from Zeus? You see? He said, you know this. Everybody know this. I want to say fake news. But it wasn't back then yet. You see, and the people then, he said to them, don't worry about these people. You know what is true. And all of the people, great is the Diana. Great is Diana. And they go, okay, they understand this. And that, that dissolved the whole thing. And these men could go out. He said to them, in fact, he said, you know this is the truth. So take these men to court if you want to. Put them in front of the court. Let the courts decide. That court case never happened because I believe that God acts on those who wait upon Him. Yes? Just imagine if you were one of those people standing there in front of that crowd who wants to kill you at any moment. And you want to defend yourself like Alexander. Stand up there and say, wait a minute. I want to say, no, no, no. He was quieted down, but God worked in mysterious ways. Amen? 
How wonderful is that? So we read about that about this church, the church in Ephesus. And then we don't read about them. Apart from when Paul went away and he came back on his way back to Jerusalem. And we see that he calls for the elders in Acts chapter 20 verse 17. He went from Miletus, Miletus and sent for Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And he gives them a good message there. But in verse 20, and I want you to concentrate here, in chapter 20, verse 26, he says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all men. Paul the preacher said to these people, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. What does it mean? Translation into our time. He preached the word of God. He preached the gospel to save souls. He didn't preach to make money for himself or to get fame for himself. And then he says, For I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. You see, I believe this is why we preach in this church verse by verse through the Bible. It's the whole counsel. I don't want to take just one scripture verse and build a story around that. We need to put it into context. And context doesn't just mean you read the whole verse. Context means you take the verse, you put it back into the chapter. And you read the chapter and get the idea what he's talking about. Then you take the chapter and you put it back into the book. Why was this book written? And then you take the book and you put it back into the Bible. So that means you need to actually read through the whole Bible to understand what one scripture verse says. Not a lot of amens, do I? <laughs> Because it's hard work, isn't it? So uh, he said, he, he taught to them the whole counsel of God. Therefore take heed to yourself and to all the flock amongst which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, the shepherds of the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Now look at this now in verse 29. He says, for I know this, I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in and amongst you. Is that happening today? I'll tell you what, there's a lot of savage wolves in the church today. And all they're after is your money. All they're after is your money and they want to have fame. And here, look at this now. He says, not sparing the flock, and also from among you yourself, men will rise up and speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. I want you to make a mental note, because once we're going to look into the church, you will see how this is played out in the book of Revelation. He says, men from amongst yourselves will rise up and speaking things to draw away disciples after themselves. In other words... Men will try to get control over your life. Isn't that right? Therefore, watch. And remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day of with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance amongst those who are sanctified. Or, uh, sanctified. What did he commend them to? Two things. I commend you to whom? To God and to the word of His grace. What is the word of His grace? What is he talking about there? Yes? The word there for word is logos. The Greek word. This word here 
If you see the word there, the word of His grace, the word there in Greek is logos. Where did we find the word logos also? John chapter 1 verse 1. What does it say? In the beginning was the word. That word therefore word is logos. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Who is that word? Jesus Christ. So what is he saying to them? He says, say to them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I warn you that there's going to be wolves coming into the church who wants to destroy you. But not only wolves from the outside, from inside the church, some is going to stand up, try to make a name for themselves, pull people after themselves. You belong to them then. I always say to people, none of you belong to me. None. You belong to God. And all I am is just a signpost to Him. But then he says to them, I commend you, I give you over to God now, but also I give you his word. This is important to know. Remember the foundation is Ephesus. And what is the foundation of our faith? Jesus Christ is the foundation, isn't it? Now what is he also called? The Logos. The Logos. Let me tell you, if you call yourself a child of God or a Christian, you don't read your Bible... I must be honest to you this morning, you haven't got a foundation in Him. He shows Himself to you in the Scriptures. You learn more about Him, you understand Him more. This is the mind of God. This is the foundation. And He says to this church in Ephesus, I give you the foundation, which is the Word of God. Then, the next time we hear about Ephesus is where? It's the letter to Ephesus. Isn't it right? We've got a Bible in our books which is called Ephesians. The letter to Ephesians. My wife was reading out of it this morning. Have you read through the book of Ephesus from, from start to finish? What is the main message in Ephesus? What is the main message? It is the Word. It is the Word. He talks about it right through. Even if you go to chapter 5, he says, if you as a husband want to glorify your wife, you wash her with the word of God. Go and read it. It is so beautiful. He says in the letter of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ. In, in verse 17 he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of Him. Where are we going to get the knowledge of Him? Where? Out of the Bible, it's out of the Word. It is the foundation. We as a church need to stand on the Word. Now John, you've been coming here for so long. Have we preached just the Word? We have. You've come here, Glenn, we just preached the Word. David, you can, you can attest to that. And I want to say something to you this morning. Listen to me this morning. If I stray from the Word of God, you need to leave this church. You need to go and find another church. You won't hear preachers say that, would you, Glenn? But the Bible says you need to test every spirit. It is your work. I mean, 
Brother and sister, you come in here with your family this morning. You as a father bring your family into the house of God. And it is for me the most important thing you're going to do in your life is what is being taught to your children. Is it the word of God? What is being taught to you as a family? Is it the word of God or is it something else? If it is something else, you need to take your family and run. It is a serious word. This is why my entire life I give to the word of God. Because if I go off that, I'm wasting my time. He says the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of his knowledge. This is what he prays for that church. This, the revelation of his knowledge is the logos. We need to know Christ. Do you know him? Do you know him? Do you really know Him as a Have you got a relationship with Him? If you do have a relationship with Him, are you spending time with Him? Are you talking to Him? Are you talking with Him, not to Him, with Him? You know what the difference is between talking with somebody and talking to somebody? You know the difference? Talking to us, sit down, do what I say. That's talking to. Talking with is, let us sit down, honey. <laughs> it's a different message. I'll come to that one day. <laughs> There's a few who got, who got that one. So we are talking with Christ. And He's talking to us through His Word. And we pray to Him. And it's interesting when He comes here with the spirit of wisdom. Can you see that wisdom is a spirit of wisdom in, in our world? And what is the difference? Knowledge is to know. And wisdom is how to apply that knowledge. That is what wisdom does. So we, we saw now, we saw the background of this church, we saw the, the warning of Paul to this church, and we saw now the letter which is written to this church, and now we're going to go into Revelation, and we're going to see what Christ say about this. So we go to Revelation chapter 2 verse 1. And uh, you will find in every one of these seven churches, Christ will start off giving a description of himself, which is applicable to that church. It's not just, you know, the Bible wasn't just written, you know, just off the cuff. Every single word in the Word of God is meticulously chosen by God to fit in that specific place. Even, even to the point that when Christ speaks, to John, and he says, write to this church in Ephesus, write to them the following words. He chose the following title of himself to them. That title is sometimes an indication of his correction, or sometimes it is an indication of his protection and his blessing. He says in verse 1, he says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and who walks amongst the seven golden lampstands. Now what is Christ saying to the church and what is he saying to you and me this morning? Remember there's a personal application. First of all, he says he holds the seven stars in his right hand. Who's the seven stars? That's the messengers. Later he calls them angels. He holds the seven stars in his right hand. These pastors he holds in his right hand. What does it mean? The right hand is the hand of authority. The right hand is the hand of power. Let me ask you a question just quickly which should excite you. 
We know that Jesus ascended on high. Do we? Where is he sitting? The right hand of God. You know, this is not just, again, just something which was written down. He's sitting at the right hand of God, which means he's got the authority and he's got the power. Over what? Over everything. Then it amazes me that some people still give Satan some kind of elevated power to come to the same level as Christ. That is nonsense. Satan is a created being. Jesus is the creator. Through him everything was created. And he is now sitting at the right hand of the Father. And here he comes. The one who sits at the right hand of the Father, who's got the authority, who's got the power, comes and he says... To the stars in his right hand. What does it mean? It means that there is power and authority, delegated power and authority coming through the preaching, through the pulpit, through the pastors, through the stars. That means that means that he himself has got authority in this church. And then he says, Who walks amongst the golden lampstands? What does that mean? It means that he's actively involved in the church. Who will allow him to be actively involved? Again, local application. And now we're going to go to the prophetic application. I'm telling you, brother and sister, he is the authority in this church. He is the authority here. And then in your life. He's actively involved in your life. You, you may not know it. You, you say, but wait a minute, preacher. You know, let's just stop it here. Stop the wagon right here. You know, my life is difficult. You know, I've got so many problems in my life. Do you want to tell me that he's actively involved in my difficult life? Yes. He is. So this message is for you. So he is the one who stands there with authority, and he is actively involved. That means that he will never leave you. Didn't he say it himself? He said, I will never leave nor forsake you. So if you are sitting here this morning, or if there's somebody who's listening to me uh, over my voice, you know, which is going out in, into the world, I want you to know one thing. If you sit in a position this point in time, and you say, but preacher, you don't know my life, you're absolutely correct, I don't. But he knows. And he's walking amongst the, the lampstands, which is the churches. And he looks into the churches. Because there is coming a day that He's going to judge the churches. And who's, who am I talking about? There is coming a day when He will judge me personally for what I'm preaching. So I need to make sure that I'm preaching His words and nothing else. I need to make sure that my agenda is according to the Word of God and nothing else. Because there is coming a day when He who is walking amongst the churches will come up and He will know every single word that's been preached. But he's also looking at your life because what you say, what you think, is written up. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. If you've got the cross of Christ, everything you've done before the cross of Christ can be forgiven at the cross. And your sin will be forgiven forward. But here is the thing. After the cross, the works that you do, and you still have to do works, you'll see it in a minute, will be judged. At the beamer seed of Christ. So what does he say to them? He says to them that my eyes is everywhere. I can see everything. 
Look at verse 2. He says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles, and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up with, for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. I want you to think what I've already preached. I gave you the whole run-through of, of, of Ephesus. And what is he saying right here? He says to them, I know your works. The Greek therefore works is your occupation. So in other words, where you are, what you do, at your workplace, at your home. He says, I know those works. When you get in your car and you drive home and in front of the church, you're all, you know, you've got your best face on, you've got your best appearance on, you are friendly, you are courteous, but when you come to the work, you're a different person. He knows all of that work. He knows everything. But then he says, and your toil. Some translations use that also as work. Toil is something that makes you weary. It, it, it draws your power out of you. And isn't that the child of God that sometimes when we pray, when we look upon things and we see what's going on in the world right now, that it wearies you down? Is it you or is it only me? You know, I honestly, I know the Bible. I've been studying it for a long time, but I find myself sometimes in prayer to God in the morning and I say, Lord, you saw what happened this week. Everybody knows that those people are guilty, but yet they are let free. That, that wears me down. And I pray for souls, and I pray for young people, and I pray for people I know. I pray for you in this church. I said it to you before. I pray for you every week, and it wears you down. Sometimes I pray for people, and I say, Lord, please let, let them not go down that road. You warn them, but, but you know what happens? They still go down that road. It wears. It's a toil. He says, I know all of these things, Ephesus, and your patience. But look at this now. You know, the eyes of God is everywhere. In Proverbs chapter 15, verse 3, he says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. So is his eyes here this morning? Is it? Come on, church, you haven't fallen asleep on me, have you? Is he here? Is God's eyes in this place this morning? Yes. Is he looking upon me? Yes. Is he looking upon you? Now let me ask you the question, does he know everything? Yes. Does he know what you even think right now? Yes. What if? What if I can have a small little wire that I'm going to get out of, out of the back here and I go and I could go into the back and plug it in here right at the back of your neck. And once I plug it in there, we can see all of your thoughts coming up on the screen. <laughs> Who's first? <laughs> you see a few people go, don't pick me, don't pick me, don't pick me. What if we then can say, because you're sitting in church now, we go, oh, that's beautiful. Look what he thinks about the pastor. Oh, that's great. Thanks, brother. Thanks, sister. That's so good, man. He thinks good of you. This is right up there. I love the pastor. Oh, thanks. That's great. Yeah. Ooh. Oh, that brother and sister. Oh, he loves them with the love of the Lord. Oh, oh, that one says he can't wait for the food after the service. Yeah, that's good. We've got you covered. Don't worry about it. 
Oh, what's that one? Oh, that one says, oh, come on, get on with it. But it's all good, and I think everybody would be okay with that. What if we rewind it and we say, let's call up Runabout Wednesday to put all your thoughts from the morning to the evening up there. What happened on Wednesday in your life? Huh? Oops. Who's first? <laughs> when somebody did something to you, what was the words that you didn't speak out, but we can read them there and say, oh, just twink that out. Who knows what's twink? We used to use it in New Zealand. It's a white thing. You twink out the words and you can write over it. But the amazing things, brothers and sisters, is that you do have a screen like that in front of God every day. Every day. And the angels look into your life to see. He says, I know your works and I've tested you. His eyes is everywhere and he can see everything. But I want to show you something now which is really interesting. You remember when Paul warned them? You remember? Come on, it wasn't so long ago. It was only a few minutes ago when I preached that. You should remember that. When Paul warned them there in Acts chapter 20, verse 29, he said, After my departure, savage wolves will come in amongst you, and also from, us, uh, from yourself people will rise up, and they will pull people after themselves. When I look at the works here which, Je which Jesus commends them on, it shows to me that they've actually listened to Paul. Wouldn't you say? They've actually listened to him. They were so aware that if somebody stands up and says, I'm an apostle, they tested him and they found him to be false. So they did a good work, wouldn't you say? He says, they kind of those who are evil but tested those who call themselves apostles and you found them not to be so and they were false. You endured patiently for his name's sake. What did he say? He said, I commend you to God and the word of his grace. You remember that? So this just did very well. And you can commend them for all of these things you do. And you know what? We should do discernment ministries. You should. I said it to you before. You should discern my messages to see if it's of God and of the Word of God. You should discern them. They did it. When apostles came in and they preached, they found them out and said, no, 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 you don't preach God. You preach something else. And they pointed them out. And they showed them out. But let's quickly go on, because now we address something negative. In verse 4, he says, Nevertheless, I have this against you. May it never be that God says to you and me that he's got something against us. But against this church, he said that you have left your first love. Remember therefore from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So it's all good that you've done. You've, you've heeded what Paul says, watch out for those false people. But you see sometimes, and I said it this morning to a few brothers, I think, I said, you know, our focus needs to stay on Jesus. Because sometimes we focus on what? We focus on all of these falsities. We focus on all the problems in the world. And we want to show that that's wrong. And we go into ministries to show out the bad and all of these things. And we spend and waste so much time on these things, on these works, which makes you weary and toil you that we forget about what? We forget about Jesus. 
we forget about him. I know. I was a younger pastor. I'm not old. I was a younger. You see how I phrased that? <laughs> but when I was a younger pastor, I used to get involved in this. I used to get involved in naming them out and saying this person is wrong. And it took me hours to read up and, and show all of the mistakes and the faults and everything. And, and, and it's good. And it, it needs to be there because Paul says, I, I tell you, watch out for these people. But I found myself in a place sometimes where there was just a little bit of a gap that started to happen of concentrating on the gospel of Christ and on Christ himself and on works that made you weary. This has happened. It happened to this church. They were so focused on catching people out that they forgot about Christ. Let me ask you, because there's a personal application this morning, what are you holding yourself up so much so, spending most of your time on except Christ? And it's easy for you to see. Time yourself. What are you spending most of your time on? And is there some time for Him? You see, these people started losing some time for Him. They've left their first love. That's called backsliding. Now, can you see that it says that they left their first love? They didn't lose it. Why am I pointing it out to you? Because if you lose something, it's not something that you plan to do, is it? Have you ever planned to lose something? You walk into the house and go, car keys, because that's generally something you lose, isn't it? You go, today I'm planning to lose my car keys. Let me see. Where can I put it that I'm going to lose it? Where am I going to put my car keys that I'm going to You put it in the, in, in the rubbish bin. What happens? You know it's in the rubbish bin. You haven't lost it. You know what you've done? You've left them in the rubbish bin. So you plan to leave them in the rubbish bin. That's not losing it. Losing is if you put it down somewhere and you don't even know and you next day you go around and you start calling up the whole family, don't you? You get all the kids involved. What do you do with my keys? Dad, I haven't seen the keys. You have. You've had them last time. No, Dad, I haven't. That's losing them. But if you plan, and this is what he's talking about, you haven't lost your first love. You chose to not do it anymore. Who is the first love here? It's Jesus Christ. He says, I've got it, you've left your first love. Who is the first love? It's Jesus. Maybe stop praying, maybe stop reading your word, maybe reading other stuff more than the word. That's starting to lose, or starting to leave your first love. So what's the things you do? What do you do to get back from backsliding? And let me say the church is full of backsliders. People who left that place. Could you remember the first time when the Lord saved your soul? How exciting it was. Could you? Man, you couldn't wait to open up the Bible. You couldn't wait to tell people. You couldn't wait to go to church. You wanted to have church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You called up the pastor and said, is there anything going on that we can just attend as the body? You were part of a new family and you loved this family. It didn't matter what brothers look like or what they say. You love them with the love of God because it's that first love. It's that wonderful love. But now you find you that if somebody walks into the church, you go, oh, it's not that brother again, is it? What's happened with the love? When you couldn't get enough of Christ, you couldn't talk enough of Him. 
I mean, when I met my beautiful wife, that's the whole thing. My whole family went. You know, I told them everything about it. I said, that's beautiful. Do I do that often? It doesn't mean I've loved, you know, I don't love her anymore. But in this particular case, it's just stopped that communication between God. Now, what do we need to do? You remember where you were, you repent. The word repent there means to change your mind. That's what repentance means, and you do. Now, I hurry up. What will happen if you don't do that? Or you will remove your lampstand from its place. What does that mean? That means in this particular church, if you're not going to come back to the first love, you will cease to operate as a church. And where is Ephesus today? Uh, can you still see the church? It's gone. You say, oh, but wait a minute, preacher, you know, so many years have gone on, surely it's gone. No, 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 if God was going to protect them, I believe 100%, if they stayed with the first love, that God would have protected that church, new members would come in, other children would come in, and they would, would have continued until you find the church of Ephesus even today. But what do you find today? Ruins. Ruins. I rolled my tongue a little bit too much there, brother and sister. Ruins. That's what you find there. You say, but how can this happen? Let me tell you. How does a church die? A church dies when parents don't teach their children about God anymore. That's how he dies. I mean, look around the churches today. Some churches, you find churches with older people in the churches. Where is the young people? Where is the young people? But I'll tell you what's happened in churches. You've got programs now. You don't teach them the Word of God anymore. And parents will go around to find the church with the best program these days. Let's go. Oh, the children, how did you find the program? No, Mommy, Daddy, I don't like it here. Okay, let's go and find another one. Until we find the right programs, that kills a church. Come back to the first laugh. Now, how do we apply this physically? Because there's a personal application. This is that, you know, you might lose your physical life if you are disobedient. I finished this morning on this. Uh, look at verse 6. And this is an important one to understand. He says, But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicotolians, which I also hate. What is the Nicotolians? Nicotolians comes, the word means destruction of people. He says you hate the deeds of the Nicotolians. This is people controllers. They were called Nicotolians. There was, there was a little man whose name was that, and he had a following. And what did they do? They associated themselves with the doctrine of Balaam. So they would come into a church and say, Thus says the Lord, and prophesy stuff which is not from God. This is what Balaam did, isn't it? You find them again. We're going to speak about them a little bit more in the coming weeks. And be, be, you know, what did Paul warn them about? He says, watch out for those people from amongst you who will stand up and pull people up, uh, after themselves. Nico did that from the Nico Alliance. So in verse 7, he says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of paradise. Now, he who overcomes means that he overcome what? The coldness of heart. He overcomes backsliding. If you overcome backsliding, what will he give? You eat from the tree of life, which is now where? 
in paradise. Where was the tree before? In the Garden of Eden. You remember? In Genesis, when God came to Adam, He says, from all the other trees you can eat, but tree of life. And what happens? They disobeyed God. And he put a flaming, he put an angel in front. He, he chased him out of the Garden of Eden. He put an angel there with a flaming sword. Why? Because sin will not be allowed in heaven. Impurity is not in heaven. If Adam managed to walk up to the tree of life and touch the tree, he would have lived forever with a sinful nature. This is why God protected it. And then he moved the tree of life from the Garden of Eden where? To paradise. Where's paradise? You need to listen to last week's sermon. It's on, I've actually, uh, not last week, so I've loaded the previous week on YouTube, but it's on SoundCloud. You can listen to it. Now, as I said, brother and sister, that I will compare the churches with the kingdom parables. What is the foundation of this church? The Word of God, yes? Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. Remember what I said to you. When Jesus in the Gospels came and He spoke to, to whom did He speak? To the Jews predominantly. He came unto His own. You remember? So the Gospels were written under the Old Covenant. It is New Testament, you know, New Testament in your Bibles because it's transitional books. But when Christ spoke in the Gospels, He didn't speak to the church. He spoke to the Jews. And in Matthew 13, he spoke about the kingdom. So now I'm going to compare it to you, for you. So what is the first parable we find in Matthew 13? The parable of the sower. You remember this? Matthew 13, 3. Then he spoke many things to them in the parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and some fell on the wayside. What happened? The birds came in and they quickly picked them up before they can start to grow. Some fell amongst thorny ground. And they jumped up quickly and grew. And when the sun came over, what happened? They burned dead. Some fell amongst the thorns. And the thorns grew up with the wheat, with the, the fruit. And what happened? The thorns were so heavy and intense that it killed them off. And some fell on good ground. Who knows that parable? You've heard so many sermons about it, haven't you? And then they came to him and said, Jesus, why do you speak to them in parables? Why don't you just tell them straight? And he said to them, only to a few. He said, for them it's to know parables, but you will know what kings can't know and others can't hear. And he, and he quote Isaiah there, and then he comes down to verse 18. He says, therefore hear the parable of the sower when anyone hears the Word of the? Guess what Greek word is used for that word? Logos. Logos. If anyone hears the word of Logos, Logos equals Jesus. Everyone who hears the message of Jesus, the kingdom of God. Remember what is the Ephesians, what is the, the thing they were talked about? The love, the first love for whom? For Jesus Christ. This is the comparison between the kingdom parables and the church. And does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches it away. In verse 23, but 
he who received the seed on the good ground is he who, te- who hears the word and understand it, who indeed bears fruit and produces some hundredfold, some sixty, and some thirty. Do we understand Ephesus this morning, the message to him? What does God speak to you? I end with the threefold application. Jesus said to John to tell that church, repent. Didn't he? What was the message to the church in Ephesus? You have backslidden. You as a church, you are so good in everything you do, but I've got this against you, that you've left your first love. The prophetic word, there is many backslidden churches today. And look, brother and sister, I'm not standing on a pedestal and say, this is the only right church. No, no, no. There are many churches in Melbourne even who preach the word of God. It is your work to be like a Berean to test that. If this church is a backslidden church, we as a church need to fall on our knees and repent. We as a church need to do that. What are we doing as a church? If you're going to go out here afterwards and you're going to have some, some food and there's, you know, the new people here, what love are you going to give them? I'm not talking about love bombing people. That's not what we do. We are really interested in people. But what do we give each other? We give them Christ. Otherwise, we as a church need to repent. Now, let me come to you because there's a personal application. You know your life. You know how much time you spent with Jesus, with Christ, with the Word, with Logos. Is that every day? Or is it twice a week? Or is it just on Sundays? You know, I'm just going to come to church. It makes me feel okay for the week. This is then talking to you. Yeah, but you know what? I come in and I'm friendly with everybody and I'm giving and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. That's good. It's recommendable. That's what you do. That's the works after the cross. You should do it just by love for everybody because the Bible says that He poured out His love in your hearts. And what, why did He pour His love into our hearts? That we can love others. But let him not say, but I've got this against you. You do all of these church things good, but you've left your first love. And if you do, repent. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much this morning, Lord, for your word. And Father, it is a timely word, Lord. It is a, it's a word for us today. And we've seen how Ephesus went through all of this, Lord, and they are no longer there. So the warning today for us is, Lord, to, to come back to our first love. And Father, if there's any person here, Lord, and if there's any in my heart, Father, that you know of, any indication of moving towards a lovelessness against you, please, Lord, let your Holy Spirit not stop warning me. But help us, Lord, to keep and to come back to our first love. In Jesus' name, amen.